What follows is message two of two of the fall college outing, recorded on November 22nd, 2014 in Austin, Texas. Uh, all right, let's read the, there it is. Let's read the title all together. Ready, set, one, two, three, go. Principles of reigning in life. As seen in Joseph. All right, let's read it one more time. Go. Principles of reigning in life. As seen in Joseph. Okay, so... Uh, Genesis has been so awesome these last uh, basically year and a half, um, and we've been uh, cresting this semester uh, with Jacob and with Joseph, and I hope you guys, uh, like John shared uh, this Thursday night, man, I really enjoyed that message. Uh, the takeaway of Genesis is just two words. What are they? Image and dominion. Yeah, two words in a conjunction. Three words total. Image and dominion. That is the takeaway of the entire book of Genesis. And again, again, I've been emphasizing, we've been emphasizing the reason Genesis is the first book in the Bible is not because it, it shows you the beginning of the universe. It does do that, and that's an appropriate place for Genesis to begin. But Genesis is the first book in the Bible because it is showing you in story form a full development of Genesis 1.26, which is God's internal, eternal intention. God wants image and dominion in humanity. And he uses the first book of the Bible, Genesis, to show you how this can happen in the lives, of, in the lives of, of sinners and people with problems and, and, and schemers and uh, unbelievers. You know, Abraham just doubting God and, and struggling with God. And, and finally, remember, he's dragging his feet through the river and finally he obeys God. And God's repeatedly appearing to him. And then, and then Isaac's there, receiving it all. And then Jacob's there being transformed. Eventually, his, his experience reaches a crisis stage where God touches the, the strongest part of his being, and he is not only transformed, but he begins to be matured in the divine life. And the level, the level of the divine life is rising. Amen. The level is rising. That's, that's where we're at. Amen. The level is rising. And then at the right moment in Genesis 37, the narrative suddenly switches. And Jacob's in the background for, for like 22 years. Jacob's out of the picture. It's just a couple of chapters, but it's 22 years. We don't see anything of Jacob, but we know through uh, Trevor sharing, I mean through the Bible, but as Trevor brought out, all those years the, the, the vessel was open. The vessel was open and God was pouring in and maturing him. Uh, but, the, but the narrative switches to Joseph to show you when, when God's life in a man transforms him. And when God's life in a man reaches a stage of maturity, we have an issue. And that issue is Joseph. And so in Joseph, we see the culmination of the divine life has an issue, and that is reigning in life. So God's image eventually produces God's dominion on earth. So hopefully we're going to see in this message what we need to focus on is not dominion necessarily, not trying to take dominion, not trying to flex our muscles spiritually and, and uh, you know, assert authority or trying to be a person of authority. We need to focus on life. The more we are a person being filled with life, enjoying Christ's life, uh, you know, the rivers of life flowing in us. I love that line in the song, uh, his life overcomes sin. Power springs now from within. Uh, and there's something in their line that says spontaneously. Yeah. Overcoming. Spontaneously. Overcoming. Spontaneously. Overcoming is spontaneous. Right. That is so encouraging. Right. 
if we are a person in, in the enjoyment of Christ's life. So with Joseph, let's read uh, number one here under, under the title, Ready, Set, Go. Reigning in life is the issue and goal of God's complete salvation. So two, two words here to really latch on to, issue and goal. You can underline that with your pen out. Issue and goal. And this is very important to pick up on because reigning life is the issue of something else. And that's, that's where the brothers were sharing on transformation and maturity. If we're a person enjoying Christ's life, that enjoyment of life will have a spontaneous issue. It's going to have an issue, and we're going to see that. And that issue of life is that we reign in life. We reign in life. And so God's life not only saves us from certain things, it produces a reigning in us over those things. So whereas before we were struggling and we're striving, you know, God is saving us in the struggles, but the issue is that we reign over those things in the divine life. So our reigning is contextualized, you can say. Our reigning has a context. It has a location. And that location is the divine life. Okay, and also, reigning in life is the goal of something. It's the goal of something. And it's the goal of God's complete salvation. So God is saving us, saving us. Eventually, the goal is that man is there in his image reigning for God, representing God on the earth. And you see that in Joseph's life in Egypt, he is the de facto ruler. I mean, he is, and and, you know, there's a verse that says no one, I think it says something like no one will lift their foot up or something apart from you. I can't remember exactly how it says it, but something like that in, in Genesis. And Pharaoh says, apart from just basically the throne uh, I'm only a higher than you, you know, officially in the throne. But be, besides that, you will be over all of Egypt, all of Egypt. So in Joseph's life, we see the issue and the goal of God's complete salvation. So we're going to, uh, this, this kind of, these points here are structured in a certain way. They're not necessarily chronological. Um, and I did that on purpose because I, tr- I want to try and show you all a sequence here uh, as we go through this. So we're starting off uh, right here with Genesis 41. This is the moment of, jo- of Joseph's exaltation to the throne. So let's all read these two verses in Genesis. Ready, set, go. You shall be over my household, and according to your word, all my people shall be ruled. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Okay, so this is the moment uh, in Joseph's life where, you know, he, uh, prior to this point, um, just to give you a little context, um, I'll just do this up here in the, in the space up here, the green space. Um, Jacob gets his dreams at age 17. And I think we're going to see that, yeah, right at the fourth point. Um, it, it, in Genesis 37, 2, it tells you how old Joseph is when we uh, are, you know, we're, we're kind of enter into the scene and start seeing his life. He's 17 years old, so he's definitely a high schooler. <laughs> Joseph, the high schooler, gets the vision, gets the vision, how to carry out Jacob's vision is through Joseph's vision. That dawns on a high schooler. What is 17 like a junior in high school? Right? Something like that, right? Okay, so first point is you are not too young to receive the vision. You're actually older. You're already past the prime. So you need to catch up. We need to catch up to Joseph's dreams. Joseph got the dream at 17. Isn't that incredible? Okay, so in Joseph's experience, the first thing, it's kind of like, I mean, it's incredible. It's kind of like uh, Jacob. You know, we, we are introduced to, to uh, Joseph, 
And the, basically, the very first thing we're told is he had some dreams. Yeah. So the Christian life is a life of dreaming. Amen. The Christian life is a life of dreams. Right. And the dreams uh, don't have to wait. And the dreams should not wait. We need to be dreamers. We're going to see that in the second point. But just to give you the timeline, the dreams come at age 17. Yep, it's still flooding, so you can turn that one off. Um, uh, the dreams come at 17. Okay, in the dreams, what is not told is that there's a long period of confinement awaiting Joseph. So that's, that's, the, that's the fine print that Joseph didn't necessarily see in the dreams. But as he tells the dreams to his brothers, what happens? It's horrible. It's horrible. They, they hate him, and later it's, it's crazy. Oh, man, I read this again last night. I just read the whole thing, the whole story of Joseph. It's so touching. Eventually, when they're, God eventually starts touching their conscience uh, as Joseph's dealing with them wisely, right, when they eventually come to Egypt and the famine. Joseph is dealing with them, you know, secretly and in love and in wisdom to perfect them. Um, but it's, it's really incredible. They don't know that he speaks Hebrew because he's using a translator. And they start, t- uh, they start saying among themselves, God is basically like, you know, God is, is visiting, and this is a prophecy from De- uh, Deuteronomy, God is visiting this man's blood on us. Yeah. It's because we didn't listen to his pleas for help as we threw him in the pit. It's because we didn't listen to his pleading with us, the voice of distress. And so, you know, when we read the story, it's kind of sterilized. We go, yeah, he got thrown in a pit. Uh, he got sold to the, you know, the Midianites. He got sold to Potiphar. He got thrown in, in dungeon. But you have to see Joseph there is pleading, don't throw me in the pit. Yeah. Yeah. He's, I mean, you gotta, it's, this is horrible that his brothers would do that. They want to kill him. And Joseph is pleading, struggling, and they throw him into the pit. Okay, so he's in the pit for a long time, a long time. Um, eventually, you know how old, is he, how old he is when we read Genesis 41? He's 30. A long time has passed in the dungeon. So at 30, Joseph is exalted to the throne. Um, okay, so partially the dream has been fulfilled, right? Partially, the dream has been fulfilled, the dream of him, of him reigning. And that's our dream. Our dream is to reign in life, Amen. to be in the reality of Genesis 126. Right. Okay, but there's a lot longer amount of time that goes by before Joseph's dreams are fully uh, realized. So in his, in his interpretation of the dream of... So he interprets two people's dreams, right? The cupbearer and the baker. And then they eventually... Uh, he says, hey, don't, don't forget me. Don't forget me. I'm here wrongly accused. He says, don't forget me. Forgets totally about him. They forget all about him. And two more years goes by where he's there in the dungeon wondering, is it today that they're going to tell Pharaoh that I'm still here? I'm, you know, I'm the wrong man, you know, to be here. Okay, then eventually Pharaoh has a dream two years later, and Pharaoh's dream is seven years of abundance and seven years of famine. And, and they're like, oh, yeah, I remember there's this Hebrew guy. He can interpret dreams. I mean, you, you would think you wouldn't forget a guy who can interpret dreams, right? Okay. Anyway, so, so Pharaoh, it says they suddenly brought him out. They shaved him. They, they cleansed him. They uh, changed his clothes. And they exalted him at 30. Okay, but Joseph's dreams aren't fully fulfilled yet. And so the seven years of abundance go by with no fulfillment. And then during the seven years of famine, um, at the second year, 
his, his brothers finally come because their food had been depleted. They finally come to Egypt. And then there's some more time. There's probably a couple more months where there's the back and forth, you know, the, the whole story of they come and then they go back and their food runs out and they come again, again. Uh, they come to Joseph again. Anyway, the point is, this is nine years. So Joseph's dreams aren't fulfilled till he's 39 years old. 39. So from here, from the dream to the reality is 22 years. 22 years. And we're going to see the secret of those 22 years. The secret to those 22 years from getting to the dream to getting out of prison and exalted in the reality and to finally having the full fulfillment of Genesis 1:26 in typology in Joseph. Okay, but Genesis 41, he's 30. Okay, in the New Testament, let's read Revelation 5:10. Ready, set, go. You have made Okay, so what I like about this verse, um, our final destiny is to reign. And in fact, in Revelation 22, it says, they will reign forever and ever. But I picked this one because I like the tension here. You have made them a kingdom. You have made them a kingdom. What tense is that? Past tense. And they will reign on the earth. What tense is that? Future tense. And so in a sense, this verse shows you our present uh, dichotomy experience. In a sense, we've already been made a kingdom. And so in Joseph's life, we're going to see he was already reigning when he was in the prison. He was already reigning. And then the future outward reign uh, await, awaited him, right? And, and same with us. The future outward uh, reign awaits us on earth. But now our present experience is already being kings. We were born kings. When you were born by your parents, you were born a sinner. But when you were reborn with the divine life, you were born a king. We were born kings. And it's just a matter of time until we come into the experience of reigning. We come into the realization of our identity in Christ. We were born kings. Okay, so awesome. So awesome. We were born kings. We were regenerated with a royal life. And this life given the right circumstances, will develop into a kingly reigning life. Okay, let's read Romans 5.17. This is really the, uh, the, the true um, thematic, the, the, you know, really the kind of the theme verse here. Let's, uh, let's all read this. Ready, set, go. For if by the offense of the one... Okay, uh, I'm going to be using some other verses that aren't on the sheet, so have your Bible ready because I'm going to want some people to stand up and read these so we can all hear them. Um, but Romans 5.17 gives you the phrase, this is the only time the phrase is used, reign in life, and in the phrase, in the introduction to this whole thought, the secret is right there. The secret to reigning in life is right there in this verse. What's the secret? Who's got a guess? Oh, I hear it. Receive. We reign not by effort. And we reign not by struggling to reign. We reign by receiving. Those who, will, those who receive will reign. The secret of reigning is to being a good receiver. Receiving grace. Receiving the abundance of grace. 
and receiving the abundance of the gift of righteousness. Amen. So in these two words, grace and righteousness, we have God's complete salvation. Righteousness to take care of the sin, always there as a gift for us when we fail. Just receive the gift of righteousness. Don't wallow in the failure. You know, uh, I've told Neil before, but one of, the, one of my favorite lines from that book, The Precious Blood of Christ, is waiting does not improve the power of the blood. Waiting doesn't improve the power of the blood. You know, if you've got the Clorox, if you've got the Comet, waiting doesn't make it any stronger. It doesn't. So the blood is the most powerful cleansing agent in the universe. If you fail, just receive the gift. Receive a gift of righteousness and you will reign. And the grace is the enjoyment of Christ's life. So there you see reigning in life is the issue and the, and the goal of our receiving. Okay, so who's got a Bible? Uh, Matt, you got one there, bro? Okay, why don't you stand up, bro, and read uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Read it strongly, bro. Yeah. And keep your Bible on hand because I'm going to need a few others here. 4, 7? 4, 7, 1 Corinthians. You got it, bro? 4, 7. I got you. The app is like, bro, slow. I think it pulled up. No, it's right there, bro. Okay, I got it. Okay. Uh, NIV? It's fine, bro, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, for who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? Okay, yet? stop. Read that point again, bro, that second sentence. What do you have that you did not receive? What do you have that you did not receive? You know, in, that's good, bro, thanks. Okay, cool. In God's economy, everything we have is received. Everything we have is because we received it. What do you have, brother? Do you have justification by faith? Yeah, bro. How'd you get it? Received it bro. Do you have sanctification? I'm going to say yes. Yes. Yeah, How did you get it? <laughs> I received it. Ask the Lord, man. Okay. Do you have glorification? Is, is, it, is this tricky? This is not a trick question, brother. You just got to know the right verse. Yeah. Yes. Amen. Romans 8, 20, uh, 28, 29, right? All past tense verse, verbs there. Those whom you justified... Right, these he also glorified. glorified. So we receive the divine facts and they become our reality. So the secret in God's economy is yeah. to be a receiver. Hallelujah. We reign in life by receiving the yeah. gift of reigning in life. Amen. Okay, so if that's the principle in God's economy, how do we receive? And I know I'm spending a little time on this, but I really want to set us up here for, uh, for you know, to really have a practical pathway here in front of us. How do we receive? I know I need to receive grace. I know I need to receive the gift of righteousness. I know I need to receive reigning in life. What should I do to receive it? If you know the right verse, you've got the key. Okay, so how about somebody stand up and read with a strong spirit, Matthew 7, 8. All right, Andy, let's, let's let Andy get it. I want you to stand up here, brother. I see you with the big Bible there. Matthew 7, 8, brother. All right. I hope y'all. I hope y'all really take away these principles here. This is this is going to open the door to reigning in life for you. Matthew seven eight, brother. Okay, strong spirit, bro. Just uh, just to the comma, just to the comma, okay? The comma. Yeah, just the first right. phrase. Strong spirit. Okay. For everyone who asks, receives. Amen. One more time with the amen ready. 
For everyone who asks, receive. Amen. For everyone who asks what? Receive. If you want to receive reigning in life, what should you do? Okay, thank you. We got the point. Sit down, brother. So, okay. So, okay, listen. Listen, I know it's simple. I know it's simple. But the thing you got to get is everyone. Is reigning in life available for everyone? Yes. Is reigning in life available for the failures? Yes. If they ask. Just ask. So from all the messages we've heard today, we need to be askers. Lord, transform me. Everyone who asks receives. Lord, mature me in life before I go to be with you. Everyone who asks receives. Lord, make me a person in college experiencing reigning in life. Everyone who asks receives. God is poised to give us all manner of spiritual experiences, but we are limited by our own lack of asking. God wants to give us spiritual experiences. God wants to give us an abundance of grace, but he's waiting for askers. So, okay, so the, the point you have to get is we need to complete the cycle. When we hear any word in a message, what specifically whatever touches us, we need to complete the cycle of hearing and then taking that word back to the Lord and asking, asking in prayer. So, you know, we've already heard, uh, you know, essentially two messages tonight. So tonight, tomorrow, this next week, we need to ask, take whatever point the Lord touched you with, you know, let's say the Lord touched you with a life of struggles. You need to go back to the Lord tonight and say, Lord, don't let me go. Lord, and grant me the grace not to let you go. You need to go to the Lord. Lord, make me a vessel that's open to you. Lord, by your grace, I wouldn't get closed. That's, it's an asking. It's that simple. The Lord wants you to receive, but he needs us in his economy to ask. Okay, so good. Okay, and then, and then receiving, one more point here before we uh, kind of move on. And I know, I'm, I know I'm belaboring this. Okay, so receiving grace. So uh, two ways to reign. You know, we have to receive it. We, we can enjoy by asking, and we can enjoy reigning in life by eating. By eating. And eating is a kind of receiving, right? So two ways to receive, to ask and to eat. Okay, so I was looking up on Wikipedia this week, uh, queen bees. Queen bees, not my standard Wikipedia searches, but I was looking up queen bees. And do you know how a queen bee is produced? You know, there is no such thing as a natural-born queen bee. All, bo- all bees are created equal. Yes. They don't, have a con- they don't have a constitution that says it, but if they were going to write one, they would say that. All bees are born the same. Chromosomally, they're exactly the same. They're just born the same. Okay, all mankind is born the same. We're all born sinners. Okay, what makes a queen bee a queen is her diet. She is fed exclusively something called royal jelly. Doesn't that sound tasty? I don't know if it's grape or if it's, uh, you know, strawberry. It's probably honey. She is fed exclusively Royal jelly. This is serious. This is science. That's what they called it. You got to love it. That's what they labeled it. So this is, this is verbatim a quote from Wikipedia. Listen to this. This is awesome. And keep the context in mind, right? Reigning in life. The young queen larva develops differently. The young queen larva develops differently because it is more heavily fed royal jelly. 
If not for being heavily fed royal jelly, the queen larva would have developed, developed into a regular worker bee. So if not, having been, if not having been heavily fed royal jelly, yeah. the queen bee is just a worker bee. She ain't a queen. All honeybees are fed some royal jelly for the first few days after hatching, but only the queen are fed exclusively on it. Wow. Only the queen is fed exclusively on royal jelly. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Okay, so the secret here to becoming a king, right, a king in life, is by changing our diet. Amen. From whatever else it was to grace. The royal jelly. The royalest jelly there is. If we are exclusive receivers of grace, we will develop into Joseph. Okay? So good. So good. All right. I better move on here. But you got the point for number one here. Our destiny is to reign. We were regenerated with a kingly royal life. And, the, and, and in God's economy, we just need to receive. And we can receive by asking and by eating. Okay, two easy takeaway points. Tonight, go home and just ask. Lord, here I am asking. And then the rest of the semester, let's just be good eaters. Eating the royal jelly. Okay, let's read number two here. Ready, set, go. Joseph was a visionary. Okay, this is so good. This is so good. This is where we are in the present tension of having the dream of reigning in life, right? Haven't y'all dreamed something this semester? Through, through, uh, you know, the Thursday night meetings, we've been having dreams. I feel like every Thursday night is just a dream, the vision that gets released. Okay, but a lot of times, if we look at our experience, where did the dream go, right? Where did transformation go? I'm here in this dungeon, the exact opposite point of the throne. The throne's here, but I'm down here. So in our present experience, there's a tension. There's a tension. There's an already not yet. We've seen the dream, and that dream, in a sense, is a reality. It's a fact. But in our present experience, we're not quite there yet, right? We're not quite there yet. So we may become very discouraged, and we may think the dream, you know, was a mirage. It was a vapor. It, it, it wasn't real. What I saw wasn't real. What I saw wasn't really meant for me. What I saw wasn't really spoken by God. It's something I thought God spoke. And so the enemy starts bringing in lies that the dream is not holding true. The dream is not holding true in our experience. Yeah. And so we may get very discouraged in our dungeon of, of, uh, tw- of uh, basically 22 years. I mean, you know, 20 years or so, 12 years actually in the dungeon. We may get discouraged. So what is the secret of, of, of spending our time in the dungeon? What's the secret of spending our time in the dungeon? It's speaking the dream. Amen. Speaking the dream. Let's all say that. Speaking, speaking the, the dream. dream. We are visionaries, yeah. and we speak by faith yeah. the dreams that we've seen before we have experienced them. Amen. And that speaking will make those dreams realities. Let's read Genesis 40, verse 8. Ready, set, go. Isn't that so awesome? That is evidence that Joseph still believes the dream. He says, don't interpretations belong to God? 
Don't interpretations belong to God? They may have asked, what about your dreams? Have they been fulfilled? I mean, so you see here, Joseph's in kind of an awkward position. Someone's asking him for interpretation. Someone's sitting down with you in the SAC asking for help. And if they turn around and ask you, have you been transformed? Uh, See, you're in a little sticky situation now because you're telling him how to enjoy being transformed. And if he turns the question on you, you might go, "Uh, actually, I'm not that transformed. So then what is he going to say? Why am I going to listen to you? Right? Why am I going to listen to you? I'm up here talking about reigning in life. What if you're like, well, are you reigning in life? (laughs) Sticky situation, right? Kind of puts me in an awkward situation. But Jacob has has the boldness. And he has the faith to say interpretations of dreams belong to God. I believe in the dream. And so a principle in our spiritual life is whatever we speak, in a sense, whatever we speak according to the divine facts becomes our reality. Okay, so I'm going to need these three brothers right here to come on up. We're going to do a little illustration. This is called fact, faith, and experience. Okay, so uh, we need you guys to just kind of be in a line here, right here. Okay, so in our experience, there's three things. In our Christian experience, there's three things. There's the fact. Uh, the facts are all in God's Word. God's Word is a, uh, it's just a, it's a repository of facts. So the Bible says you will reign in life. Okay, what we need next, so this is facts. You're the fact man. Strong facts. Okay, what we got here is we have faith. We have faith. Faith always should follow the divine facts. So, uh, and then here we have Drew. Drew is experience. Drew's experience. And experience always follows our faith, okay? And, and we have to maintain this order or bad things are going to happen. I'm going to show you. So in our Christian life, let's just turn you all this way here. Kind of right here, right here. Um, in our Christian life, it's like Faith, fa- uh, fact, faith, and experience are walking on a narrow wall. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever done that. You're just kind of, you know, as a kid, you get up on this, like, brick wall, and you're walking on the, on the ledge, right? And you have to keep your balance. Yeah. So in our Christian walk, fact takes the lead. You will reign in life. Start walking. And faith says what? Amen. Amen. I will reign in life. Amen. Praise the Lord. And then if we maintain that order, experience is going to follow. And so if, you walk, if each one continues to maintain the view in front of them, so, so faith always looks at fact and experience always looks at faith, they're going to they're gonna stay on the wall, right? What if Mr. Faith here, Mr. Faith is starting to wonder, you know, uh, and where's the experience? And so instead of looking at fact and believing in the fact, as they're walking on this narrow ledge, what does faith want to do? He wants to turn around and do this one and look at experience. He wants to, where's the experience? Okay, so if as we're walking, we don't keep our eyes on the facts in Christ and we want to turn around and look at the experience, we're going to fall off the wall. We're going to fall off the wall. Okay, y'all can sit down. Thanks, brothers. Good example, huh? Okay, so that's not my example. That's why it's good. Okay, so in our experience, where do our eyes need to be? On the facts. On the facts. And this is where Joseph's speaking by faith. How could he speak with such boldness? Because he had a fact. Every spiritual dream is a fact. Every every verse in the Bible is a fact. 
if we say amen to that fact, yeah. the experience is going to walk right along, right behind us. If we turn our eyes to look at the experience, we'll lose our balance and we'll fall off the wall because we're like, where's the experience? Okay, so I want to read a, a, a quote out of uh, this book is uh, The Normal Christian Life. Excellent, excellent book. And this is on page 72. I felt it really applied. So listen to this quote. And think of Joseph here. Think of Joseph. All temptation is primarily to look within, to take our eyes off the Lord and to take account of, experience, of appearances. Faith is always meeting a mountain, a mountain of evidence that seems to contradict God's word. Let me read that again. Faith is always meeting a mountain, a mountain of evidence that seems to contradict God's word. You're going to reign in life. Here's a mountain of contradiction, evidence contradicting God's word. Faith is always meeting this mountain of evidence that contradicts God's word, a mountain of apparent contradiction in the realm of tangible fact, dash, of failures indeed, as well as in the realm of feeling and suggestion, dash, and either faith or the mountain has to go. So the Lord's words are facts, but when we look in our experience, we're always meeting a mountain of evidence in the tangible realm of our failures, of our feelings, uh, I can't remember what the other one was, of our uh, sensations. And so Joseph's in prison here, and he's meeting a mountain, an obstacle to his faith of, of non-enthronement, the exact opposite of enthronement. But the secret is to lay hold of the facts by faith. So the secret is whatever the Word says, we just need to amen the Word. Amen. Transformation, amen. amen. Growth in life, amen. amen. Maturity, amen. amen. A life of blessing others, amen. amen. A life of shepherding others, amen. amen. When we say amen, we align ourselves with the more real facts in the divine realm, and our experience will progressively uh, go along those lines. So good. So the secret to spending your time in the apparent contradiction of the prison is to speak by faith. What's the secret? Speak by faith. Okay, let's read 2 Corinthians 4.13. Ready, set, go. And having the same spirit of faith, according to that which is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak. Okay, so we believe, therefore we Okay, in the prophesying meeting, great application. We believe. We believe what we read right in the Word. We believe what the verses said in the morning revival. We believe the application in the ministry. So what should we do Lord's Day morning? We should speak first, even if we haven't had the experience. We should speak boldly, stand up in the meeting and testify, I believe, therefore I speak. That will be a great release to you. Joseph was released from the prison through his speaking by faith. He continued to interpret the dreams of others even when his dream wasn't fulfilled. And that speaking released him. That speaking brought him to the throne. So we need to speak boldly in the prophesying meetings. You know what doesn't help anyone? Standing up and saying, well, you know, it's just, I, I just don't think I'm ever going to overcome. So... Who's next, you know? Okay, is the meaning going to go up or down at that point? Down. 
Okay, what else doesn't help someone? Well, you know, I read in the Word about, uh, about uh, overcoming, but I got in a massive argument with my roommate, and guess I'm not overcoming. <laughs> that doesn't help anyone. It doesn't help you, and it doesn't help us, because we go, we need people to speak boldly by faith. Amen. What encourages people is if we stand up and we say, you know what? I am struggling right now, but I take that as a sign of my transformation. Amen. I am being transformed by God, and I am not letting go. Amen. That is encouraging. That's inspiring. Amen. That makes you go, amen. There's an amen in your spirit of faith. So faith is in our spirit. Doubts are in our mind. So we stand with our spirit, and we speak. Okay, another application, the prayer meeting. The prayer meeting. We pray by faith. We pray by faith. Our, our, our prayer meeting is not based on our track record that week. When we walk through the door, we take the blood. Check the problems at the door. Just let them go for one hour. And let's pray in our position in ascension. Okay, so that, I know it's simple, but it's, it's so powerful. Speak by faith. Pray by faith. Stand with the facts in God's Word. So good. Okay. And the reason I put those two first, especially number two, is because we're coming to number three. And so number two, we need to remember, speak by faith. Speak by faith. All right, let's read number three. Ready, set, go. Okay, so Jacob's, uh, Joseph's life is a revelation of the rulership of the Spirit. And what that means is before Joseph reigned outwardly over the situation, he ruled inwardly over his condition. So he ruled over, uh, the, the word shows us three things he ruled over, his lust, his anger, and his self-interest. So reigning in life is a matter of reigning over uh, basically these three things, right? And, and ultimately it just comes down to our flesh. We reign over sin. We reign over death. We reign over the apparent contradiction. We reign over our self-interest. Basically, we deny the self. We put the flesh to death by the Spirit. Okay, so let's read uh, Genesis 39. We're going to see here Joseph reigning over his lust. Uh, let's have the brothers read this. Ready, set, go. Okay, so here is the, uh, the context for Joseph reigning over his lust. He was there in a situation with just him and uh, Potiphar's wife, just them two alone. And uh, that's when the temptation comes. Temptation comes when we're alone. And if you're, if you're a guy and you're in a room alone with a woman, temptation is going to come. It is just the flesh is the flesh is the flesh. The flesh gets stirred up in situations. And so Joseph there... Uh, the only, the only uh, smart, you know, the only smart thing to do in that situation, and I think Tina really hit this on the head a couple weeks ago, is not to reason, is not to try and be strong. It's just to flee, just to flee. Fleeing is the secret. When it comes to the flesh, we're all weak. So we don't try and defeat the flesh with the flesh. We just run. We just flee. If there's a lion in your room, are you going to stand there and be a man? I'm not. I'm leaving. I'm getting out of there as fast as possible. And I don't care about the people who say you can't outrun a line. I'm running. 
You know, they always say you don't run when a bear's there because you can't outrun a bear. I'm like, what's the other option? <laughs> what's my other option, man? Stick around and play dead? It's like, I mean, maybe that does work, but it's like, I'm, I'm going to try and put on the Nikes and run. <laughs> okay, so anyways, especially the brothers, we need to take the lead in this area to flee. Amen. Just flee. Don't, don't try and be a hero. Don't try and be strong. Don't think, you know, it's not going to happen to me. We just, the flesh is the flesh. Okay, let's read the next verse here, Romans 13, 14. Let's have the sisters. Ready, set, go. Okay, at first I had 2 Timothy 2.22 on here, which was flee youthful lust, you know, kind of a direct New Testament parallel to Joseph. But then I started thinking, you know, uh, we, you know number one, flee is kind of covered in the Genesis verse. But number two, you know, in a sense, if you're fleeing, it's a little too late, right? I mean, it's like... Praise the Lord, you need to flee. But I was really touched with this verse, make no provision for the flesh. Make no provision. That means don't put yourself in, in situations where the flesh has something to feed on. So, you know, the flesh, is like, the flesh is like a neighborhood dog that has not been vaccinated. Uh, and if you put the food out, guess who's showing up? The dog. And you may think, well, I've never had a dog. It's kind of cute, you know, kind of fun to play with. He always comes. Uh, well, if you play with that dog, you're going to get diseases. Yeah. You're going to get problems. Yeah. And so the, to make no provision is to stop putting the food out. Right. If we put the food out for the flesh, the flesh is always going to show up. Yeah. So we need to be exercised. Lord, how can I make no provision for the flesh? You may say, well, I've never had a boyfriend, so it's kind of fun, you know. Well, that may be a provision for the flesh. You need to be before the Lord about it. Uh, you may say, well, I just want to go check out, you know, what a party's like. I'm not necessarily going to, you know, do anything. Well, that's a provision for the flesh. And sooner or later, we're just going to realize the Lord's going to shine on us. The flesh is the flesh, and the flesh is always weak in temptation. So anyways, uh, the rulership of the Spirit there, Je Joseph reigned over his lust. Let's look at the next two verses here, Genesis 45. Let's all read them together. Ready, set, go. But God, and let's read Ephesians, ready, set, go. Let all bitterness and anger be removed from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. So here in these two verses, we see Joseph reigning over his anger, his anger. And it's pretty amazing. The ones who threw him into the pit and wanted to kill him, Joseph is telling them, don't be angry with yourself. Isn't that incredible? Not only was Joseph not angry at them, he said, don't be angry at yourself for doing this because I don't blame you at all. I see God's sovereignty. It was actually God. It was actually God. So I, lo I love this point. Um, you know, we need to be people who forgive each other. We need to be forgivers. We need to be good forgivers. We need to let the Lord remove the anger, like it says in Ephesians. Let anger be removed for you. That's passive imperative, like uh, Trevor's verse was. That means God wants to remove the anger. We just need to say, Lord, may it happen in me. Remove the anger. Uh, offenses are unavoidable in the church life, right? Because we're so close to each other. We're always around each other. Um, basically, we're with each other every day. 
So the brothers may do something, may say something to us that offends us, uh, but we need to let the Lord remove the anger. And to such an extent that we could tell the one who did that to us, don't be angry at yourself. Come on, brother. Uh, Don't be worried. Let's go on together. Let's be brought on to maturity. I don't blame you at all. I've forgotten. I've forgotten. Listen to this verse. This is so awesome. Um, Right at the end of Genesis, you know, there's, I was looking at, there's a number of times where Joseph is weeping for his brothers. Uh, One, two, three, four, five, six times Genesis is recording in the narrative. Once his brothers start coming back to Egypt, he's so full of feeling for them. He's so, he has no blame for them. He's weeping continually for their perfection. The ones who tried to kill him. And at the end of Genesis, when his father dies, this, these two verses really touched me. Listen to this. This is uh, Genesis 40, uh, 50, 15 through 17. And when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the evil which we did to him? And they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father charged before he died. I don't think he really did this, but they're, you know, they're saying, Hey, uh, you know, Dad said, don't, don't blame us here. Your father charged us before he died. Thus shall you say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. So now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. And his brothers also went and fell down before him and said, We are here as your servants. And Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God. Even though you intended evil against me, God intended it for good. What a spirit. No anger, no grudge, no retribution, no payback. The whole thing was gone. It got removed in the years of prison. Just like with Joseph, all the preoccupations in in Jacob got removed. All the bitter feelings of his brothers, they just got removed. And so when he eventually came to the throne, he didn't judge them. He didn't condemn them. He didn't go slay them. He forgave and forgot the whole thing. And every time it came up, it touched him so deeply that his brothers would have a way to go on. He wept. Brothers, I forgot it. Let's go on. So, so encouraging. So this is Joseph reigning over anger. Proverbs 25, 28 says, Like a city... uh, Sorry, I got the wrong one on there. I changed this one first. uh, This one too. Let's read this one. Proverbs 16, 32. What does it say? So this is Joseph's inward reigning over his spirit, basically, over his feeling towards his brothers. And one point of application here, you know, he reigned over his self-interest. So as soon as he got to the throne, he could have instantly gone and got his father, got his brothers, brought them back, and fulfilled by his own arrangement the dreams that God had given him. But instead, he preferred to wait under God's timing. So here we have an application of God's will, God's way, and God's timing. In any, in any matter, we need these three to align. It may be God's will that we do a certain thing, and it may be God's way. Of course, it may not be our way. We'll go through 20, you know, 20 years of prison or whatnot. But we, we need to learn the lessons to wait for God's timing. Wait for God's timing. Okay, we need to keep going here. Let's read number four. Ready, set, go. The reigning life is a life of shepherding and feeding others. And let's have the guys on 37 and the sisters on 47. Ready, set, go. Sisters, and Joseph sustained his father and his brothers 
Okay, so the ultimate point of, of being a person reigning in life is to shepherd others and to feed others. We don't reign to reign over others. We don't reign to reign over the brothers, to call them out on things, to try and change them, to try and tell them, hey, measure up, man. Don't you know I'm reigning here? We reign to feed others, Amen. even to feed the very ones who are against us. Yes. We're just over our anger. We're over our bitterness. We're over the fence. And our only desire is to shepherd and to feed and to let them go on with us. Isn't that so good? So we need to be people storing up the riches, Amen. just like Joseph did. He's, you know, outwardly, he stored up the seven years, during the seven years of, of abundance. We, too, need to be those storing up the food supply. So when we come to others, we're reigning in life. We don't condemn them. And our only desire is, I need to feed Christian Harper. I want to shepherd Andy McAteer. I want to take care of Drew. That's our burden in reigning. So let's just uh, finish here with Matthew 24. Let's all read these uh, verses together. Ready, set, go. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. So here again, the secret to reigning is to be a person who's feeding the brothers. Amen. The proper time, giving them food. Give them food at the proper time. If, if we're those kind of people taking care of others, not just being for ourselves, for the fulfillment of our own dreams, but we're feeding the brothers at the proper time. We're giving them food. When the Lord comes back, what's he going to do? He's going to set us over all his possessions. So really there a secret to reigning in life is to be a person taking care of others by feeding and shepherding. Okay, we're done. Uh, on the back you have five practical ways to experience reigning in life. I just wanted to throw those on there uh, just in case you're still a little confused. Uh, here's some very practical, practical points with the verses, how to be a person reigning in life. So uh, I'm done. So what should we do, brothers?